DJ and PK, it's time to talk with Dr. David Petron. University of Utah, phased reopening of the athletic facilities. How is this going to work? The doctor joins us right now on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Dr. Petron, good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. Thanks for coming on. We've got uh, probably a couple hours worth of questions, but we'll we'll try to keep it to twenty minutes or so. All right. I'm curious because sounds good. How's it going to work? I hope it's going to work well. (laughs) Right. I know. I know. It's the word hope that has everybody nervous, right? (laughs) We we prefer it was. I know, including myself. Yeah. Right. But that brings us to the first question. You know, you're a doctor. That immediately when you hear that title. To most of society, that conveys, you know, some level of expertise. So what you say goes. But I'm curious right now with a new, new disease, of all the facts you would need to know about this disease to do what you're going to do, what, if you could put a rough number on it, do you think you know 25% of what you need to know, 50% of what you need to know, 75%? How much of this disease have we learned about over the last three months we really think we, we know about it? Well, we've learned a lot, but I don't think we'd ever really be able to answer that question until we look at this whole pandemic retrospectively, which will probably be years from now. So it's a novel virus, so we're learning every day. And I certainly wouldn't call myself an expert. I've learned a lot since uh, Rudy Gobert came down with it and and, um, continue to learn. In fact, do you guys know Andy Larson? Yes. Yeah. That's he, that's impressive. I've learned from him with some of the articles he's had. He's changed gears, hasn't he, with, with what he covers. And to be able to cover this the way he has, I think, is really impressive. So I was on that Zoom call with you and, and Trevor Jameson and the two athletic administrators, and you created a timeline, basically, as far as when some uh, athletes can come back. And you started out uh, June 15th. It's going to be for the locals. And then a week later, out of state. And then uh, some. Then you have some new players, uh, men, women, when they come to campus and all that stuff. How did you come up with the idea of June 15th for the locals and then a week later, out of state? How did that work? We just felt like we wanted to not have people traveling in where they may be carrying the virus with them and wanted to phase it it in with just a local athlete first since the um, virus is less uh, prominent in state. Um, And then some of this came down with the recommendations from the Pac-12 as well as the NCAA. So nothing that we do will supersede anything from uh, the accordance with the state and federal and NCAA and the Pac-12 guidelines. So everything tends to follow that, but we just felt like Um, June 15th would be a good time to get the local athletes back. And then phase two would be the out-of-state and international student-athletes will return on campus as long as everything goes well. And then when the athletes return to campus, all of them will have a uh, PCR test and an antibody test. Um, And they'll have to follow uh, certain requirements before they can even come to campus. Obviously, they'll need to be asymptomatic for at least 14 days, not have any exposure. Um, They've been practicing social distancing where they've been. and They'll have, once they get to campus, they'll have daily temperature checks and they'll have an electronic 
uh, questionnaire that they'll answer daily. They'll have areas that they'll need to have appointments to um, get into certain facilities because we don't want to. We want to create a safe and manageable return of athletes to these facilities and not have crossover one team to another team. And so they'll have appointments that uh, when they can access the facilities at certain times, just um, to try to minimize crossover. Um, so we're doing everything we can to um, try to keep this as safe as possible for the athletes. And of course, everything with the athletes is voluntary. So if an athlete chooses not to have a test, that's fine, but they'd have to quarantine for uh, 14 days. And then our final phase would be on June 29th. That's when the newcomer athletes, all the freshmen, freshman athletes would be allowed on campus. I guess really the final phase would be all other sports coming to campus, which would be um, July 13th through the 27th. Are all the athletes going to be uh, required to mask up, asked to mask up? Will the same things be applied to the faculty and staff who interact with them, or is that going to be campus-wide for everybody regardless? I, I think it will be encouraged campus-wide, and I, the classrooms, my understanding, uh, won't be as crowded as they normally are, so there'll be spacing there. Obviously, we can't force our athletes to wear a mask, and we can't control what they do at all times on or off campus, but they will have education on hand-washing and temperature checks and um, wearing a mask and social distancing and and then, you know, we educate them, and I guess you hope for the best from there. And then if they do have exposure, they'll be retested. Um, if somebody does come down with the, with an illness, then, I mean, that's the biggest worry, right? So you have, a just say, a football team, and there's a lot of uh, contact, and it's hard to have social distancing when you're sharing a ball and lining up across the line of scrimmage from somebody else. And so... If somebody does come down with the virus, then we need to determine um, low risk versus high risk. And some of those definitions change, but right now the definition we're using for low risk is distance of six feet for less than three minutes. Uh, And the infected person was wearing a mask and there was no physical contact. So you can imagine with a sport like football or even basketball, well, they're not wearing masks when when they're playing. And so it ends up being that a fair number of people would be considered high risk, which would be less than a distance of six feet, greater than three minutes exposure, whether they're wearing a mask or not, and uh, physical contact and, and sharing a common ball. So and if somebody does test positive and you have high-risk exposure, then our choices at that point will be to quarantine for 14 days or test isolate them and then test on day three and test on day five. And so if somebody, um, if we have somebody has test positive and they have high risk exposure with other athletes, um, that could eliminate a fair number of athletes for at least five days until the test result is back. How many guys, men, women, do you anticipate being able to accommodate with these volunteer workouts at a time? Uh, I couldn't give you numbers on that, PK. I know in the weight room we plan on having stations set up where there's uh, adequate social distancing, and I know that there'll be um, time set for each team 
to do their workouts to maintain that social distancing. But I couldn't give you numbers that will be in certain areas. I know we're in the locker room. We're going to try to have distancing there, too, or even have athletes uh, shower at home. For instance, with the Jazz, uh, for their practice, they there's no sharing any space in a locker room. So they just grab their lunch and, and go home from there. And so there's still a fair amount of isolating in the in the first phases. And then the first phase where they're just working out but not having contact, we don't plan on doing uh, continued testing. But once once uh, they start to share a common ball and, and um, have contact, then we'll be testing on a regular basis. How much of this are you uh, trying to figure out on your own as you go through this? How much information is being shared across the Pac-12? And how much is being shared between conferences? The Pac-12 is, I would say, really leading the way on a lot of this. Uh, the NCAA has used a lot of our information that we've come up with with the COVID-19 Task Force and the Student Athlete Health and Wellbeing Board. Um, and every team in the Pac-12 has a representative that's on that board. So everybody in the Pac-12 is on the same page. They may not be rolling out the phases at the same time, but the requirements and the testing and that type of thing are are similar throughout the Pac-12. The NCAA has just allowed return to um, to the facilities on June 15th, but we don't have a lot of specifics from the NCAA yet. And um, you know, if they come up with something that's out of alignment with what we're doing, we'll you know we'll very likely get in line with what the NCAA is recommending. The big question, I think, so with some the, of this is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you finish, Doctor. I was just going to say, for games, I think it gets interesting, and there's been a lot of back and forth on how we're going to handle this. So, um, obviously, we'd like to do testing as close as possible to game time. Um, and the infectious disease specialists say, just theoretically, say we could do the testing immediately before the game, and nobody tested positive then there's zero chance of viral spreading and it's perfectly safe to play that game um, because their viral load isn't high enough where you or they're considered contagious so that would be the ideal is you have a visiting team and a home team the home team supplies testing as close to game time as possible but some of that gets tricky there are tests out there right now that can have a result back within 45 minutes um and can test up to 40. Now I think there's even a machine that can do up to 60 at a time. So there may be access to some of that uh, testing equipment for games, but practicality, it would probably be more like 48 to 72 hours before a game. And then, of course, you have a chance of if somebody was an asymptomatic carrier and they tested negative, but even though they tested negative, they're just negative at that time. So in that 48 to 72 hours, it could still turn positive. So your risk for game time would not be zero. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I understand. Opens up potentially uh, some problems. I guess we'll see what happens there. When you talk all about of this, the, we're, we're mitigating risk, right? Uh, I mean, there's the, never gonna there's never gonna be zero risk. Yeah. Right, right, yes, exactly. That's, I think, something that we need to understand. 
I'm wondering, uh, is the campus going to be open? Because you got the, the local kids. Well, they already have housing. How is it going to work then when you invite the out-of-state kids coming in? As far as if they get, if they test positive for the virus? No, or where are they going to be housed? Be housed? Is the campus going to be open? Is the campus going to, no, yeah, is the campus well, right, going to house them? Right now, my understanding is, uh, yeah, the campus will be open. And the dorms will be open. I'm curious how much teams will alter their travel plans. What are you recommending there? Uh, Because obviously the less time they're on the road, the less risk there seems to be. Some teams travel charters. Some teams travel commercial. Will trips that used to be air travel now be bust? Uh Yes. A lot of questions there. No, that's a great question, and that's a recommendation from the uh, Pac-12, is that if possible for travel, if it's within a reasonable distance, that they travel by, by bus. And then the other thing we have to figure out, and this is the worst. Going forward, that, you think that's what they're going to do? That's, that's the plan if it's within driving distance. So, yeah, you might have at least California schools if the team that they're playing is within a reasonable distance that they're that's recommended that they travel by by ground dr david petron join us right now talking about the phased reopening of utah athletic facilities um i want to ask you not that this sport is the most popular because it's not even close but it overlaps with quote-unquote real life how does a covid virus behave in chlorinated water is it safer is it less safe and obviously we're getting a good weather and people want to go to pools and some public or some are private and some are indoors and some are outdoors so there's all kinds of variables but what do you know what do you what are you telling the swim teams and how might that apply to the average listener in their own life right now who's thinking about a water park or a swimming pool well, I'm not an expert on that, and so I'm a little hesitant to comment on that. I don't think we know completely about that, but I I think in chlorinated water, it's difficult for the virus to live. But um, I know that we're still planning on uh, testing our swim our swim team and allowing them to return to to sport as well. But I couldn't comment on uh, like the general public going into a community pool, how safe that is or not. I'm not sure. When you talk about how there will never be a complete uh, situation where there'll be no risk going forward, this phrase "new norm," do you see these types of things that we have, whatever might new new norm might be, actually that this is something that we'll be doing for years to come? I think until we have a vaccine um, or we have adequate treatment for those who uh, contract the virus, I, I think. Yeah, this this could go on for a while. Hopefully, we have a vaccine soon. And yeah, but if we look at the number of people that are exposed to the virus right now, overall, it's it's a very small number of people that have it. So people always wonder, will there be a second outbreak? I mean, certainly potential for that, given that from what we know right now, we haven't done mass testing of asymptomatic people, but from what we know, it's still a small percentage of the population that has the virus. So. I can't anticipate, at least this year, that uh, for football anyway, that we'd have fans in the stands 
uh, or if we did, it would have to be the same type of social distancing that we have elsewhere and um, the same precautions with masks and that type of thing. That's what I think is going to be the most. Do you think it's going to be bizarre to, to be at a football? You guys, you guys would probably still have access to a football game, but we wouldn't have mass fans at a game and um, for both football or basketball. And, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be different for quite a while. Dr. David Petron joining us to talk about the phased reopening of the Utah athletic facilities. What what kind of advice and what kind of guidance can you give the student-athlete who has some type of pre-existing condition? I mean, there's so many scholarship athletes. There must be somebody who has diabetes. There must be somebody who has had you know a kidney or liver issue at some point. Uh, how, how closely can you work with them, and what can you tell them? Yeah, it doesn't come up. As often as you'd think, we have the, a lot of athletes that have asthma, but they have to be more in the moderate to severe asthma to be considered a higher risk. Um, diabetes type 1, which some athletes have, very few have type 2, uh, which tends to be uh, more with overweight. Uh, type 1 is not as big of a risk factor as a, as a diabetic with type 2, but any of the athletes that have um some pre-existing conditions like you're talking about, we'd take all the same precautions that we're taking with our other athletes, but we also have to put that in a context of how important, you know, is the sport to you and this experience to you. And we still would try to obviously make it as safe as possible. They'd still have temperature checks daily. and uh, They'd have to fill out the electronic questionnaire daily try to do tracking and all the usual precautions that we'd have for uh, our other athletes as well. But if they became symptomatic, then it might be a bigger issue. If we look at 15 to 24-year-old healthy athletes without any comorbidities, their chance of dying from this virus is like one in three million. So if we look at all of sport, it's, you know, if we're looking at the worst case scenario for a healthy athlete getting this virus, it's it's very unlikely that somebody would die from it. So that's that's the positive thing. But obviously, there's more important things than um, to to test these athletes to make sure that they're not just going to die because that's a remote possibility. But we still want to make sure that they're not bringing the virus home to others in their family or poten- have potential infect other students on campus and that type of thing. So we think all the precautions that we're taking are well worth it. But in the bigger picture of things, you know, hopefully mortality is not uh, high on the list. What are you doing with uh, coaches? Because obviously you're going to see coaches and assistant coaches and administrators who are going to interact with student-athletes, and they're going to be older and presumably at higher risk, plus all the other things you talk about. Who knows if they're taking it home? Who knows who they're interacting with? No, exactly. That's actually probably the bigger risk are some of the coaches, but they'll go through the same process as the athletes, and you'll see coaching being different, too. You're not going to see coaches up in players' faces. They'll they'll maintain some distancing. Um, they'll have to go through the same type of screen on a daily basis that the athletes go through. Um, you might see some limitation in coaches that travel, so we might have had a bigger travel uh committee for um, football, for example, and that might be pared down to more uh, essential coaches. So I think I think all of this has potential to change, and all of this 
like we talked about in the press conference yesterday, it's this is all fluid. You know, it could change as we gather new information, emerging evidence. If, as we gain more experience with how to handle these situations, it could all change. But, um, yeah, for coaches, really, I think that's the bigger risk. Or old guys like me traveling <laughs> with the team, that's a bigger risk. Well, Doctor, like you said, we could probably go on for a couple hours, but we appreciate a few minutes to kind of lay some of this out. And if you don't mind, we might uh, double back and talk to you again as we get closer to the start of the school year and closer to the start of games. Happy to do it. Dr. David Petron talking about the phased reopening of Utah Athletic Facilities.